Our text this morning is Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 28. If you're there, note verse 23, where Joshua says, Now therefore put away the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. The topic this morning, Joshua's farewell speech to the Israelites, gets us thinking about the effect of idolatry in our own lives. The title of our message, American Idolatry. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you this morning for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. How he came, Lord, and bled and died for us and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven that we might have life and that more abundantly, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be on our way to an eternity in relationship with you and him and the Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for that. We appreciate your word. And as we work through these 28 verses of Joshua 24, Lord, we so need the ministry of your Holy Spirit to teach us and to touch us. There are some things here, especially this morning, Lord, regarding idolatry that only you can reveal. None of us can judge the other, Lord. We must simply let you judge our hearts. Let you reveal our hearts so that we might have hearts that are more full of the love of God through Jesus Christ, that you sit even more enthroned on our heart, leading and guiding and directing our lives in these dangerous and difficult but exciting last days in which we find ourselves. Lord, when we leave this place this morning, I pray that we would be a little bit more conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus and that others would ask us, What's going on in our lives because of the joy and the grace that we display? And that others would come and ask us, what must they do to be saved? Because they want what only Jesus can give. Take us through your word now, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone agreeing said, amen. Idolatry has been described as anything in our lives that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. If anything can be an idol, then isn't everything a potential problem? Well, sure it is. And that's why giving specific examples of idols can be tricky. Let me illustrate. I came across a conversation between an American pastor and an East Indian woman. Surrounded by idols of stone and wood in India at the shrine of a false god where animal sacrifices were being performed, the woman announced she was sickened by idolatry in America. When asked to elaborate, she said this, Your God is your stomach and you have restaurants everywhere. Your God is your sports teams and you build multi-million dollar stadiums to house them. Your God is your television and all of the chairs are lined up so that your family can gather around the altar of television and worship there. Now, this is the typical sermon on idolatry, that kind of thing. Just because you go to a restaurant or a ball game or watch television, it doesn't mean you're practicing American idolatry. It could be. Any of those things could be a problem for you individually because everything is a potential problem. But specific examples like those, even though they might hit a few people, they run the risk of needlessly offending the majority of people or they run the risk of missing what's really going on in our hearts. Put away the idols, Joshua said, but you must also incline your heart 
unto the Lord. It is the inclination of your heart that needs attention. Since everything can be or become an idol, we need to admit that the natural inclination of our hearts is towards idolatry. We should therefore be vigilant about our natural inclination and replace it with a supernatural one that is towards the Lord. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, admit that you are naturally inclined towards serving idols. And number two, commit to being spiritually inclined to serving the Lord. First of all, in verses 1 through 23, the bulk of our study this morning, admit that you are naturally inclined towards serving idols. The Apostle Paul told new converts at Thessalonica that they had, quote, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Just because we're saved, however, it doesn't mean we're through with idols and idolatry. The Apostle John was talking to Christians when he said in 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Since anything can be or become an idol in my life, where do I begin to guard my heart against this natural inclination? Well, very simply put, I begin by admitting I am naturally inclined towards serving idols. I can say that because that's what our text in Joshua 24 highlights. Twice the people proclaimed to Joshua they have no intention of forsaking the Lord to serve idols. They say that in verse 16 and in verse 21. But in verse 23, which we read, you learn that they were already serving idols. When Joshua said, put away the foreign gods which are among you, he was busting them, not warning them. Idolatry wasn't just a potential problem, it was an ongoing situation, and they were slow to admit it. And so what I see this here is that the people of God oftentimes are involved in a form of idolatry and are unwilling to admit it until they are worn down, really, by the Holy Spirit. In this case, Joshua, the tool of the Holy Spirit. And so I don't want to fall into idolatry, and neither do you. As we read through Joshua's farewell address to the nation, we can identify some spiritual encouragements that will help keep us from falling into old idle habits. Joshua began his address by rehearsing Israel's history. In verse 1, he said, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Now, Joshua's choice of location for this talk was itself significant. Among the historic features of Shechem are two notable events. It was at Shechem that God made his initial promise to Abraham that his descendants would inherit the land. And it was at Shechem that Jacob called upon his family to bring out all of their household idols so that he could bury them and now freely serve the Lord. The Israelites could not miss the significance of being at Shechem. They were in the land as it was promised to Abraham, and they must turn from idols as exampled by Jacob. For some of you, these two experiences were simultaneous. You were saved and you entered into the promises of God, promises of life, abundant life. You then turned to God from idols and you eliminated from your life many things that occupied the place Jesus now occupied. It's glorious so long as those things aren't allowed to creep back in and replace the Lord. A lot of people, when they first get saved later, if you get saved later in life as an adult, 
uh, or a young adult, uh, one of the things that happens is immediately you get rid of a ton of stuff uh, that's in your life. Uh, you know, for, for us, when we got saved, uh, we, had, um, we had just stocked this antique bar we had bought. Uh, uh, or actually, yeah, we bought it because I remember giving it away as a piece of furniture. So we, we had stocked this bar and uh, we, f- we didn't drink anymore. And so we poured all of our alcohol, hundreds of dollars worth of alcohol down the drain. And then I was really nervous about what to do with the bottles because I didn't want to just put them out in the trash and have somebody think that we had just gone on a bender, you know. <laughs> So I took them to the dump and in the middle of the night, I think, you know, and, and, you know, it's that kind of thing. We got rid of tons of albums. Uh, you know, that, you remember albums? They were bigger CDs. Uh, they're like a CD, only bigger, and you had to have a record player to do it, you know. Anyway, so we got rid of tons of albums. I got rid of tons of books that I had collected uh, over the years. And so we were just, we were so excited. I mean, we didn't have to. We wanted to. We couldn't wait to get rid of that stuff, get this stuff out of our lives. Because we were filling our lives with the Lord. And a lot of you have that testimony. Then what happens years later for some people, then some of that stuff starts to not creep back in. You start to bring it back in. You think, well, I'm a mature Christian now. I can do this and do that, bring this all back. And you start to think, man, why did I throw that away? Uh, it, you know, I, I, I threw it away. Now it's costing me money to buy it. You know, I mean, it's crazy. And so we need to be careful that we're, you know, I'm not saying all of that is even wrong, but a lot of times we're returning to something that the Lord had delivered us from. And and in many cases, if it was not good for us then, it's not good for us now. And we ought to just go on without it. Now, our first encouragement would be to remember our personal Shechem, to remember when you turn to God from idols so that we won't be tempted to bring those things back into our lives. Verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. I'm always, uh, I always think it's fascinating that the father of the Jewish nation was a Gentile idolater who received unexpected and unexplained grace from God. It reminds us that whatever your earthly heritage, idolatry is in your natural blood. We were made in such a way that we must serve something or someone. If it's not God, it is a God, whether it's an object or an idea or an ideal or something else. So we're reminded of the fact that our flesh, our human nature, as it were, continues to tug at us after we've come to the Lord. We're in a struggle against it daily. Our flesh wants to dethrone Jesus and put something or someone else on the throne of our lives. But God has saved us and given us a new nature. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. We don't need to serve any other gods. We can win this struggle as we yield to the spirit and not to the flesh. Verse 3, then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Now, you remember Esau. He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. When our kids were growing up, we were real heavy into the donut man. You guys know who the donut man is? 
And, and this song, it just always, I can't ever see Esau's name without remembering the soup. Esau, or the song, Esau saw the soup. Esau saw the soup. Uh, Jacob made a meal and he thought he had a deal when Esau saw the soup. It was just great, you know, and stuff. And, and uh, it, it just cemented that in my heart. But Esau, he's, he's hungry. I mean, how hungry can you be? But he says, I want some of that soup. Man, that must have been some great soup. But he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Uh, he represents and typifies the man of the flesh whose God is his belly. Though he may seem to prosper in Sire, while his more spiritual brother is headed for a famine in Egypt, we don't look on the outward circumstances. We look on the inclination of the heart. We want to be led by our love for the Lord and not by what satisfies some immediate hunger. hunger. The encouragement here is that there are many Esau's out in the world. People who are not really spiritually inclined unto the Lord and they prosper. They have cities and countries and possessions and all of these things. The man of God all the while is is in Egypt suffering from famine. But we are not to look at things that way. We are to understand things from a spiritual perspective, seated in heavenly places, led by our love for the Lord and not what satisfies us for a time. Verse 5, also I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. Now, this quick summary of their journey to the promised land and beyond has at its heart their deliverance from Egypt. Before delivering them, God took on the gods of Egypt one by one as he sent the ten, uh, the ten plagues. Uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee in his studies on uh, Exodus points out how every one of the plagues was a direct assault on one of the gods of Egypt. And God wiped out any notion that Egypt's gods had any validity or power. He destroyed their gods, then displayed his mighty power by destroying Egypt's army. You were delivered when you got saved. It might not have been a dramatic deliverance like uh, a, an addiction to some substance, but you were delivered from something, even if it's self and selfishness or some habit or hobby. God showed you His mighty power over your Egypt. And again, it's a reminder and encouragement to us that we do not have to be led into idolatry. Verse 8, I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. On their way to the promised land, the Amorites refused to give the Israelites passage through their territory. Instead, they attacked them. Story is in Numbers chapter 21. The Israelites had recently left Egypt and were little more than a band of former brickmakers. They had no real military skill whatsoever. But God gave them victory over fierce, trained Amorite soldiers. I think in some ways we are stronger spiritually at the very beginning of our walk. We're more inclined to walk by faith and believe that God can and will overcome our enemies. 
That same power and childlike faith is available to us throughout our walk. Be encouraged to simply trust the Lord. Uh, It's not that ignorance is bliss. It seems, though, that the more we know and the more we grow, uh, the less likely we are to walk by faith. I, I don't understand that. In my own life, I don't understand it. You'd think you would be more encouraged to walk by faith, not be bothered, not be troubled. But in many cases, it's when you're first saved. I think it's that initial understanding of the forgiveness of sins and the deliverance from so many evil practices and things. And a lot of times we need to return to that and to think, wow, remember when I first got saved and, and how how simple everything seemed. Uh, I thought uh, I thought I was going to lose my job. I didn't care. We didn't have any money. We didn't care. Our house was in foreclosure. We didn't care. You know, we didn't care about anything because we had the Lord. And we knew that somehow he would get us through. Uh, and, and a lot of times we just allow the world to crowd in around us and to, even though it's not choking out the gospel, it starts to choke out our faith and our belief that the Lord is who he says he is. And so Joshua is trying to encourage them. You don't need household idols. You don't need to be involved in these things. You have the Lord. Verse 9, Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, he arose to make war against Israel and called, uh, sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Now, it's true that the prophet Balaam could not curse Israel, but he did advise Balak to send the Moabite women down into the camp of Israel. The men of Israel began to consort with them, bringing a plague from God upon the camp. It was stopped only when Phinehas took a javelin and killed an Israelite man and the Moabite woman he was committing adultery with. The Israelites would understand that though delivered from Egypt, they would never be free from the pressures of the world. But they would also understand that bold biblical action would deliver them should they fall into sin. If you've walked with the Lord for a while, you've fallen into sin. You've fallen into temptation. But God has delivered you time and again. And whenever you find yourself in a situation where idolatry has crept in, God can deliver you again. Maybe it's now. Maybe it's today. Maybe as we go through this this morning, the Holy Spirit will do His work in our hearts and begin to pinpoint areas. I can't do it, your neighbor can't do it, but the Holy Spirit can do it. Since everything can be an idol, anything qualifies, it's possible that the Lord wants to show each of us or some of us things in our life that are crowding out the place that Jesus wants to occupy. Hey, I know guys for whom the ministry is an idol. They sacrifice everything. They, they leave their families in the dust. They spend no time with their children. All they want to do is the ministry. And it's a, it's a difficult idol to understand because you look at it and you say, well, well, they're ministering. Well, yes and no. Oftentimes, the ministry that they're doing is about them. It's being in the limelight. It's being the, the person that everybody calls and talks to. It's, it's being the one that, that has to take care of every situation and do all those things. And it's possible to put yourself on a pedestal and put the ministry on a pedestal so that the ministry itself becomes an idol. And, and, and it's a very, very subtle kind of a thing. Uh, obviously, careers... Uh, I mean, there's so many things, obviously, that we could talk about. And so let the Holy Spirit reveal these things to us. 
Verse 11, then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And in the 60s, we used to say the Outasites. But who remembers the 60s after all? I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you. Uh, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. Now, this reference to the hornet is most likely to the fear that gripped Israel's enemies as they saw the Jews marching upon them. You remember when this book began, the spies went into Jericho and Rahab said, people are freaked out about you guys. They remember what you did to the Egyptians 40 years ago. And they've been living in fear ever since that you would eventually show up and cross the Jordan River. And so the hornet is this sense that the Lord is at work in our lives and in our fellowship. There were a host of enemies against the Israelites, but none of them were a match for the Lord. So too with us, there are always going to be enemies and strategies of our enemies but the Lord is our hornet if we will serve him obediently. Notice the phrase too, not with your sword or with your bow. Their weapons were essentially spiritual. Yes, they fought. Uh, they were in the physical realm of fighting, but their weapons were spiritual. We've seen this as we've gone through the book of Joshua. When they prayed and sought the Lord, they had victory. Joshua could pray and stop the sun for an entire day. Their weapons were spiritual in nature. Our weapons are always spiritual in nature. Thus, we can live above our circumstances, never under them. We can gain victory over the flesh and therefore eliminate idols from our lives. Verse 13, I've given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them, and you eat of their vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. Now, this is an interesting verse uh, in, in this sense. I believe it can be uh, shown from the New Testament and even from the Old Testament that God has given us all things richly to enjoy. In fact, the Bible says that. And so the world is ours to enjoy. Not everything in the world, certainly not to indulge ourselves, uh, not to get things out of moderation, but, but God wants us to enjoy His world. We can enjoy it better, I think, if, if we understand that He's the one that's provided it for us and we're not, you know, in, in the sense that He's given us a land for which we did not labor and cities which you did not build and we dwell in them. And in other words, our contact with the world is as light as possible, but while we're in the world, we can enjoy certain aspects of it and not have it become a burden to us, not have it drag us down the way it does worldlings, people in the world who, you know, the slightest change in here or there blows their mind, changes their attitude, destroys their, uh, their joy and those kinds of things. I'm happy for this because this means I don't have to give up coffee. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the whole time Gene's going to repent at the end of this message. He's going to admit that coffee is his God, not on your life, not on your life. God's given us coffee richly to enjoy. And uh, I, I do, I enjoy coffee and, and you enjoy something and it's not, 
you know, an obsession. Well, it might be. But anyway, it's no, it's just I think, you know, and so that's the thing. I mean, see, if I'm if I'm, you know, there's other things in my heart that that are much more serious, I'm sure, than than my morning coffee and my mid morning coffee and my noon coffee and my mid afternoon coffee and my shot at night. Uh, now, I suppose I could worship coffee, but I don't. So that's the thing. So, you know, you're sitting here thinking, oh, you know, when is he going to say that I can't watch television or can't go to a ball game or I'm not. God's given us all those things richly to enjoy. Yes, anything can become obsessive. Anything can take the place that the Lord ought to occupy. Let the Holy Spirit show you. Let him reveal that to you. And get about the business of enjoying things without them becoming idols in your life, without them getting a grip on you so that they ruin your life and even ruin your serving the Lord because you're so busy serving that idol and making excuses for it and saying that it's okay that you're really not serving the Lord anymore. Verses 14 through 22, Joshua applies his sermon. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord, our God, is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Far be it from us, they said, yet it was right in their homes. It's a warning of how easily our hearts can be deceived. Verse 19, but Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Now, admittedly, this phrase, he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins is difficult to reconcile with the biblical fact that God is forgiving and gracious. Thankfully, Joshua defines exactly what he means in the next verse. Verse 20 says, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. God won't forgive them in the sense that he will allow the earthly consequences of their sin to play out. Obviously, he went on forgiving them as a nation and as people. They remained his chosen people. Although spiritually forgiven, some things could not be undone. It is the same with us. God can and will forgive us all our sin. But often there are consequences to our behavior that once done cannot be undone. As Dennis Agajanian likes to say, you can't unscramble eggs. And a lot of us, we, we scramble our lives in some area and God forgives us and restores us and we go on with him. Obviously, we don't lose our salvation or forfeit it, but you can't unscramble that part of your life. There's a consequence or consequences to it. Verse 21, and the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, okay, your witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. 
The people wanted to serve the Lord, and so do we. Who wouldn't want to serve such an amazing, loving, and gracious God? And so here comes the cut. Verse 23, Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Until now, you might think this is a warning to them to not get involved with idols. They were already practicing idolatry. While Joshua and his house were serving the Lord, in their houses, idols were the norm. They could come together to worship the Lord and all seem very spiritual, but in private, at home, at least some of their lives were not so committed. It's a matter of what we like to call integrity, being the same person all the time. You're the same at home as you are in church, the same at work as you are at Bible study. You're just either serving the Lord or you're not serving the Lord. And so Joshua uh, gets them into this situation. I think Joshua is a good example of what the Holy Spirit wants to do with the Word of God, whether it's a message about idolatry or just a message somewhere else, or whether it's just our own personal reading, where a lot of times we, we first on the surface immediately agree with what we're reading. We agree with God. You're right, Lord. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm right with you. And then the Lord, maybe if we're meditating on his word or rereading it or listening to it carefully, he'll bring that to us again. We'll say, yeah, Lord, right on. You're elbowing people around you. You know, do you ever elbow somebody in church? Uh, you know, uh, because, man, this is for you. This is the, you know, hey, this is for you. Are you listening? And sometimes it is for that. But I mean, you know, but keep your elbows to yourselves. Um, but, uh, you know, and then but then finally, if we're really, you know, just, you know, open to it and seeking the Lord and keeping ourselves in a place where the Lord can get through to us. Finally, the Holy Spirit just says, OK, then, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you get rid of that idol? Why don't you go pray for that person? Why don't you ask for forgiveness? Why don't you, whatever it might be, and you're busted. You think, oh, what I thought was a warning is really, I'm busted. Because I'm that person. I'm not practicing what the Lord wants me to do. I think I am. If you asked me, I would say, yes, me and my house, were serving the Lord. But finally, the Holy Spirit has broken through and said, well, then you need to put something away. You need to take something off. You need to get out of a situation, whatever it might be. Hence the value of letting ourselves be exposed to the Word of God in many, many different facets and forms in our own reading. And just because, you know, our hearts, even as, as tender Christians, our hearts can be hardened in some areas. And the Lord wants to break through so that we'll get rid of these things. Is there a person in your life, a possession, a passion, a pursuit, a position that occupies too great a place? Don't be too quick to dismiss the search for idols. Incline your heart to the Lord. The New Testament version of that is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, where you're told to set your affections on things above and not on the things of the earth. It's a work of God's Spirit taking God's word to identify the true inclination of your heart. Let him have his work, put away idols, and then commit to being spiritually inclined to serving the Lord. 
At Ephesus in the New Testament, there's an episode in which believers in Jesus Christ were so moved by the power of the gospel to bring forth books of magical cultic worship and burn them publicly. Now, they didn't do this when they got saved. They had been saved for a while. And then as they saw the power of the word of God at work being preached by Paul, they said, hey, we have to get rid of these things we're holding on to. It was a work of the spirit on the inclination of the hearts of believers. He can do the same today, every day and wants to. And when he does, it elicits a response from God's people. Verse 24, the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice. We will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. He took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord, which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart each to his own inheritance. In passing, I'd like to say that archaeologists have discovered Shechem and even found a large limestone pillar that they believe may once have been this stone that Joshua wrote upon. The Israelites made a verbal commitment to turn from idols and return to God, and then Joshua noted it and recorded it. Did they go home, bring out their idols and destroy them? I'd like to think at least that some of them did. Before we depart this morning each to our own inheritance, we ought to take a moment to respond to the word of God. Perhaps the Lord has been speaking to you this morning. There is something or someone that is competing for the affection that the Lord deserves. Admit it. Don't strive against the Lord when he wants what is best. And then commit yourself to him. If it involves getting rid of something, do it. Idols can be actual things. Chances are that the idolatry you'll identify is more a matter of where your heart is inclined. And so make a commitment to incline your heart to the Lord. In the blockbuster movie Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Barbosa made famous the line, I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. Sometimes I think we come to the word of God and we don't really say it verbally to the Lord. But because we're not paying attention to his word, we're saying to him, Lord, I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. I don't believe I have any idols in my life. I'm serving you. I'm here at church. I read the Bible this morning. So I'm just disinclined uh, to this whole line of reasoning. Better to be inclined to acquiesce to the Lord's request that we turn to him from idols. It is the natural inclination of our heart to serve idols, self, pride, uh, career, ministry. Uh, The list obviously is infinite. And, And so what we need to do is just admit that, be open to the Lord, and then commit to incline our hearts to serve him. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. It is the power and can change our hearts and lives today and we pray that it would as we close this morning uh, and as we're in an attitude of prayer i want to just sing uh, through a chorus kind of in the background and give each of us an opportunity to uh, 
let the Holy Spirit minister the word to our hearts, kind of as a moment of response, individual response, where maybe we'll admit that something is an idol, but either way we'll commit to serving the Lord. That in our heart of hearts we'll say to the Lord what Joshua said and made famous, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, and so let, just take a moment and recommit yourself to, to the Lord and to serving the Lord, uh, a moment of honest reflection and hopeful realization. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame Rising again, I bless your name You are my all in all Jesus, Lamb of God Worthy is your Now, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We appreciate so much the Word of God, more so when its a teaching is attended by the Spirit of God. We appreciate that Jesus is here in this place this morning. He's, you've promised that, Lord, and told us that you'd be where the church gathered together. Lord, our hearts can be deceitful, but they can also ring true, Lord, with the worship of you as our Savior and Lord. I pray that you would help us now and later to identify, Lord, all the things that we would desire to remove from our hearts so that there would be more room to adore you, to worship you, to love you. As we leave this place, Lord, we would be so filled with you that we overflow to others. We thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. The guys are up here to pray with you and for you. Please avail yourself of that. Ladies, uh, we need to know if you're planning on going to the dinner on uh, December 5th. Sign-ups are a little bit slow, and so we want to encourage you to get over and get signed up. It's a great evening of ministry. Super time to bring somebody uh, either... Uh, you know, who does know the Lord, a friend of yours, or who doesn't know the Lord, uh, so they can see Christianity in just kind of a different format uh, and, and a night of encouragement uh, with the Word of God and the worship of God. Uh, may God bless you this Thanksgiving. I know it can be a time of dread for some uh, in terms of family and friends and all that, but uh, turn that around and, and just get excited about what the Lord can do as you just reveal the thankfulness in your heart for Him saving you. If nothing else, if you can't be thankful for anything else, you're on your way to eternity. And Christians, you know, we live our life kind of from the end uh, forward. Uh, you, you know, if it, certain movies, certain books, you don't want to know what happens at the end. You want to be surprised. You want to have that gotcha moment. But as a Christian, you've had that moment. And you know that you're going to be seated in heavenly places with the Lord. You're going to be rewarded. You're going to live forever in a beautiful, glorified body, in an amazing mansion that is custom-built for you. Uh, and so 
knowing the, that you're on your way home, who can mind the journey? And so uh, fill your heart with praise and the wonder of his love. If you're traveling, we pray traveling mercies upon you uh, in every way. Enjoy the things that the Lord has given you richly to enjoy. Don't make an idol out of any of them, but enjoy all of them. God bless you.